The torch blazing in New York Harbor is no ordinary statue. The great lady who carries it signals not to sailors, but to the tired, the poor, and the huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse. The poem by Emma Lazarus, our mantra in our creed, is engraved on the Statue of Liberty's tablets. On the southern border, there is no statue, just a two-story fence of rusted iron slats and crossings laced with barbed wire. What the wall signals is just as clear. Borders divide people, but in the shadow of this fence, we met a community united for a common purpose. Light shines bright from the community centers and barrios of El Paso. Fronterizos take up the charge before us all, embodying the principles we claim to represent, building the structure for a new Ellis Island through their work. Courage, in this context, is a choice to breathe life into the idea of America and show us all a way forward. We met Juan during our first full day at the border. Where we stood on the American side, there was no civilization for what seemed like miles. But on the Mexican side, Juan lived just feet from the border fence. He wakes up every day to border patrol agents inspecting the area. He is not allowed beyond his backyard and was detained once for crossing the border to visit his family in the U.S. Everyone goes to the U.S. with the intentions of creating a better life. If you don't have a degree in Mexico, it's really hard to make ends meet and it's unfortunate, especially since there is very little help from the government. When I came here, and I had to adapt to the language. It was probably the easiest part to adapt to the language. The hardest part was I felt like this country lied to me. You know, through my whole school, all I ever heard was, you have rights, you have liberties, you deserve to go to college, you deserve to live the American dream, you deserve all this stuff, you know, and you work so hard for them. And then you become an adult, and the reality is completely different. My name is Nayeli Sainz. I am the Regional Coordinator for Border Dreamers and Youth Alliance. That is a branch from the Border Network for Human Rights. Lately, my main role has been talk about DACA, but now it's kind of transitioning to know your rights, uh, what amendments do we use with, that are relevant to our cause, you know, how to apply them. My kids grew up with fear all their lives that they were going to be separated from their mother, so... Being in this organization, it changed them. It has made them stronger. I stopped living in fear. So To get a visa to come into the U.S., you have to show that you have money in the bank or property. This is the Mexican government, not the U.S. government. People that Americans might perceive as like poor, like those are actually like, like middle class or above people crossing the border for their context. They're actually business owners. They're people coming and buying and then reselling. Right? They're people that have uh, formal and informal business relationships with the U.S. Brenda Reich is the executive director and founder of the Borderland Rainbow Center, the only LGBTQ community center in El Paso, Texas. In 2015, when she was studying social work, she was asked to facilitate a support group for guardians of transgender children. Since then, they have met every week. After realizing the lack of support for the LGBTQ individuals at the border, she began her journey to build a space where people could access the resources, community, and security they needed. But like we don't directly serve 
a population from Ciudad Juarez because we're not in Ciudad Juarez and an average person can't cross the border. And LGBTQ people have the same human rights as everybody else. And I think that, you know, we're an easily targeted group that is visibly different, right? So, like, I started to think about class and about privilege and about power. And <laughs> once you see those things, you can't unsee them. You can't unknow that. And so once you While Brenda works to build a community, Doñita fights to save hers. Doñita Morales lives in Barrio Duranguito, a community under the threat of gentrification. From the last remaining home, she watches the neighborhood she loves transform into a place beyond recognition. Doñita works without an organization or institution, just a band of friends and artists committed to saving the community they love. We sat down with Doñita in her beautiful home while her friend, Yolanda, the historian you heard in an earlier episode, translated for us. Por, por muchas razones estoy peleando mi comunidad. En primer lugar porque vivimos muy tranquilas, muy a gusto, porque simplemente no son las vegas. Es la manera en que nosotros podemos vivir porque pagamos menos renta, porque por ejemplo yo muchas de nosotros tenemos un cheque de 750 dólares, pagamos luz, gas, this is a very, very safe community that she can open that door and lay down here to rest. No one bothers her because there's no drugs, there's no crime, there's no gangs, there's no criminals. She says that many of the people who live in this neighborhood live on $750 a month, and it's an affordable place for them to live. Where else could they rent an apartment for something that they could afford? They can't pay $500 for rent. And she's The city of El Paso got its permit to build a sports arena by advertising it as a community art center. But now Duranguito, in all its murals and history, is slated for demolition. All residents but Doñita have vacated. Why demolish a neighborhood that is clean and safe, that can provide a model for other neighborhoods in order to put a sports arena? That Why would a sports arena have more value than a community that they've worked so hard to clean up, a community that is safe and secure? Solo sé que llevo, que no llevo mucha ventaja, sé con quién estoy luchando. Contra quién estoy luchando? Estoy luchando no con con la verdad. No estoy luchando con buenos sentimientos. No estoy luchando con. Estoy luchando contra el dinero, el dinero, los millones. Estoy luchando contra los millones. O estoy llorando con lo que dice Tonita. Um, so she says that she knows she is not fighting against people who have the truth. She's not fighting against people who have good intentions. She knows she's fighting against people with a lot of money and with a lot of power. Despite increased police presence in Duranguito and the beginnings of demolition following the midterm elections, this April, Doñita celebrated her 91st birthday from the living room of her home. Doñita 
como les digo, quiero luchar por... Sé que estoy luchando por algo justo y más bien no por mí, porque yo ya me voy. No sé cuándo Dios me diga, ya, ya llegó tu tiempo, pero, esto, pero quiero para ellos, para los jóvenes, un mundo mejor, sin odio, sin rencor, sin guerras y todo. Uf, quiero mucho, pero allí, aquí estoy. What she has on her side is God. She has a lot of faith in God. She prays every night for the strength to keep going. And she doesn't do it for herself because she says her life is about to end. So it's, she's not fighting for herself. She says she's fighting for the children that are here and the children to come. So she wants for, for the young people, and she said including y'all, what she wants for you is something better that that her dream is for a world with peace, a world without war, and she says she knows she's asking a lot, but that she wants all of this for the children and the young people, like you. We were children when we were brought here. Most of us don't even remember when we crossed. I remember when I crossed. I was ten, about 10 years old. To me, it was like this big adventure because I didn't understand borders, I didn't understand politics, I didn't understand none of that. As a 10-year-old, why should I understand any of that? I still remember the, the moment where, like, I kind of gave up on the American dream. Before 9-11, there was more leniency if you came in undocumented. After 9-11, that leniency was gone. So they were trying to deport me, penalize me for 10 years. At that time, I was, I had my, I already had my son, and I was pregnant on my second son. And for them to tell me that, for me to leave the country for 10 years, and probably leave my kid behind, it was, it felt like, that's when I, that's when I kind of, everything changed for me. I was like, let's fight for this, let's fight for everybody, let's just not, I always have said it, it's not just about DACA recipients. I'm undocumented and gone through domestic abuse. A lot of women don't like to talk about that, but it's a reality. A lot of my husband, he's well, future ex-husband, um, you know, he's a US citizen. He held that cloud over my, over my head for many years of he would call immigration and separate me from my kids. I got married because I loved him, and yet he still treated me horrible, and I lived there in that house. I was with him for almost seven years, and he always held that over my head. I'm going to call immigration, you'll get separated from your kids, so one of these days I'm going to drag you across the border and leave you on the other side. We pay a lot of money to the coyotes to help us get to the U.S., but they drop us like dogs, just little dogs. Border Patrol agents smooth out the sand near the fence so that it's easier to see if anyone has crossed there. And if there are tracks, it would be easier to trace them down. You can see the division here. I know that you feel different there than I do here. It just feels different. Even if it's just these poles that are dividing us, it's just different.
Once you start to think about how is society set up and how do people get ahead and who gets rewarded and who gets left behind, you can't like unknow those things. And once you know them and you have ethics, then you got to do something. You know, I had to sit down and say, wow, I was raised in a racist culture um, and taught to believe bullshit. And now what am I going to do about that? I was taught to believe that rich people are somehow morally superior. I was taught to believe that people who had the chance to get an education were somehow made morally superior to other people who were uneducated. You know, and the answer to that is lie, lie, lie. Aquí estoy, aquí estoy. Me quedé sola en esta vecindad, pero aquí estoy y voy a seguir. Llegué. Si pierdo, pierdo luchando. When we left El Paso, the borderlands stayed with us. The spirit of struggle, the warmth, the hope, the vision that our society can live up to the ideals we declare. Late spring and summer 2018, back in Ohio, we watched the zero tolerance policy of family separation take hold. Children were ripped from their parents' arms and held in cages and detention camps. While the nation seized with outrage and panic, Frontline human rights defenders profiled throughout this season stepped up to the challenge. Linda Rivas and Las Americas Immigrant Advocacy Center, whose story we told in episode two, became the most important source of legal defense for asylum seekers and those targeted for deportation. Ruben Garcia featured in episode three, personally escorted immigrants past customs and border patrol across the Friendship Bridge and into the U.S. In the past year, his agency, Annunciation House, sheltered thousands of vulnerable people under his own roof, in hotels, and even a warehouse recently acquired and transformed to meet the inconceivable demand for beds. The Border Network for Human Rights hosted Hugs Not Walls again, reprising the event documented in Episode 4, reuniting hundreds of families who waited through the Rio Grande this past winter to briefly be with their loved ones. Fernando Garcia, profiled in episode five, repeatedly brought people together to express and reinforce their dignity. El Paso has long been a testing ground for brutal and inhumane immigration policy, but it is also a wellspring of inspiration for how the rest of us can and should respond to the crisis mounting around us. El Paso may be far away, but threats are close to home, and these threats show no sign of letting up. If you've been moved by stories we shared this season, to tears, to frustration, to rage, or to hopefulness, then you, like we, are considering how to carry this torch forward, how to apply these lessons to our own life in our community. Our goal with Moral Courage Radio is to highlight the way in which ordinary people confronted with human rights crises reacted in extraordinary ways. There's nothing special about the people featured here, except for the choices they made to meet what this moment demands of them. If we are to be the country that the Statue of Liberty stands for, then it's time for our actions to catch up with our idealism. Today is the day we show history who we are. This is America the Borderland, a moral courage project. 
I'm Ira Baeza. This episode was written by me and engineered by Tom Amrine, with music by the Chamanas, and special thanks to Manuel Calderon. Mary McLaughlin is our editor. Our producer is Joel Pruce, and our associate producer is Rachel Carr. Find us across social media platforms and online at americatheborderland.org. The Moral Courage Project team would like to thank the incredible people we met and interviewed on the U.S.-Mexico border. The opportunity to know you and to share your stories is our tremendous honor. This is the final episode of the season of Moral Courage Radio. If you've enjoyed it, share it with friends and family and leave us a review to help us reach new listeners. Thank you. Thank you.